0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in today for the newest episode of the Innovation on Main podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the University of South Carolina College of Engineering and Computing, home to the state of South Carolina's only graduate nuclear engineering program and the 25th ranked nuclear engineering program in the country. With the college's one-of-a-kind nuclear drying facility and $8 million Energy Frontier Research Center, the program provides students unique hands-on experiences that prepare them for stable, high-paying futures in the field of nuclear energy. Visit the college's website today to learn more about the Nuclear Engineering Program and the many other unique undergraduate and graduate programs that the University of South Carolina College of Engineering and Computing has to offer. Today, Rami Herrick will be joining me to talk composites manufacturing and AFP machines. Now, if those just sound like big words that mean absolutely nothing to you, then for now, just think multi-million dollar huge machine that makes all the big parts for airplanes and cars. I could go into more details for you, but I'll save that for the guy working with NASA on these things. He might be a little more qualified than me. Rami is an associate professor of mechanical engineering at the University of South Carolina and is also a resident researcher in the McNair Aerospace Center, where he does most of his work on their really big AFP machine. In my six months here, I've gotten to work a lot with Rami and his students, and every time I'm done talking with them and hearing about their research and hearing about their accomplishments, I always just always leave with a dropped jaw. Uh, The amazing work they're doing here is really just that amazing. So if today's anything, like every other time I've spoken with him, I think you guys are going to be in for a really good treat. So that's enough of me talking. Let's get this thing going. It. So excellent. we're going to be talking about composite manufacturing, but I'd
1: really love to start
0: off by giving you an idea of what exactly is composites manufacturing.
1: All right, that's a, that's a very good and fair question. So uh, I'm going to start by a little bit explaining uh, composites um, and what what does composites mean. Um, a lot of people think that composites is like this brand new thing that's you know the revolution. And it's actually not. Composites have been around for like thousands of years. And if you go back five, 6,000 years ago, they discovered that building homes out of uh, just mud, um, the, the homes will fall apart as soon as it rains. And they made the discovery that by putting straw with the mud, so having two materials in distinct phases bundled together, will make uh, the house hold on better to environmental conditions. And this is a concept of composites. When we say composites, we're talking about something that you have two distinct material. Now, what's the trick in here? The trick is each one of the material plays a role. Fast forward till the advanced composites that we talk about nowadays in the last 50, 60 years. These two materials, you have the first one that is what we consider to be the reinforcement, so what brings the strengths to the game. And the second one is the matrix, not the movie, that uh, <laughs> brings the shape cohesion together. So you often hear about fiberglass or advanced carbon fiber. What does this mean? Fiberglass is as simple as the glass. The fibers, the bundles of fiber, just like the hair, are made from glass, and they are held together with a resin system. The airplanes that nowadays have pushed the usage of composites, so we're talking about the Dreamliners, the 787, uh, Boeing 787, or Airbus 350, they use carbon fiber or graphite fiber. And what this means, you have the reinforcement made out of carbon fibers, and the matrix element is made out of a uh, polymer, a thermoset polymer. So... <laughs> Your crazy research, that huge machine in McNair, that
0: all started thousands of years ago with stick and mud. Okay. Um, so, I-
1: <laughs> actually, actually, I want to like composites, like the human body also has composites, like the bone also has. The concept of composite is two distinct elements. You're just okay. not alloying them. Like, I'll give you the counter example stainless steel is not a composite, while it has several. Uh, element It has steel, it has chrome, it has nickel, but they are alloyed together. They are not left into their distinct phases. Okay. That's the difference between a composite and an alloy. And to bring, you know, the discussion on composites manufacturing, right? Um, the advanced composites manufacturing started with hand processes, people doing things by hand, laying, you know, taking the shape of a tennis or a... Uh, or a boat or whatever it is and trying to create this shape manually with manual shapes come human errors and so many different things. And the progress has started with creating dedicated manufacturing processes such as filament winding, such as protrusion and so on to create like very specific shapes, but that's not appealing. Imagine that if you're creating something for every part of that thing, you have to create a machine for it. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It becomes so expensive. And this is why AFP that you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is the dearest to my heart, is what we call a, it's not attached to a shape. You actually get your material very similar to 3D printing. The difference is you're not just extruding a, a polymer, you're, you're extruding actually a, what we call carbon toe, which has like the fibers and the resin system together the difference is that you're making that and you're capable of producing different shapes so this afp
0: manufacturing what are you what what does it create what would it what would someone who has no idea about this machine or no idea about what it does make what would they know that it does make
1: okay that's a very very good question so afp first of all stands for automated fiber placement uh, these machines can be gantry-based or robotic-based. So they can be mounted on a giant gantry in order to create like this huge shape. Or they can be the head just mounted on a robot and the robot moves on the rail. They can create, I want to go ahead and say, almost any shape that you can think of. The problem is it's expensive because you need to create the tool to create the shape. The process, it's not as simple as you lay down the material and you got the shape because after that it needs to go to what we call post-processing. This is material dependent. So today the 787 or the 350, they use thermoset material. This material, it's a polymer. This material, once you lay it down, you need to cure it after you lay it. So it needs to go to an autoclave, which is like a big pressure, uh, pressurized element that Uh, variates pressure and temperature in order to create the cross links between the uh, monomers so that it gets solidified. So any shape you want to come up with, you have to think that, all right, I will need eventually an autoclave. And for some time in South Carolina, we had the biggest autoclave at um, Boeing's Charleston facility. But I think recently Boeing uh, Seattle in Washington State, they they made a bigger (laughs) one. I don't know, but this is... So why is
0: the AFP produced parts for the 787? Why is it better than the parts, how the parts were
1: produced for the previous version of that plane? So, so, um, so that's a very good question. And the 787 is the only airplane that has 50% and more uh, composite material in it. So there's a fundamental difference. Actually, I forgot which airline industry used to have a hashtag uh, four or five years ago that says "Big metal bird. It always irritated me because a composite plane is not a big metal bird anymore because it's not metal so traditionally aircrafts are titanium are you know uh, these uh, metals uh that are lightweight what you're looking for is um fuel efficiency um while maintaining your strengths and composites are playing this advantage by giving you the same strength, but reducing the overall weight of the aircraft. So by taking it from this perspective, the 787, which is made by 50% and more composites, is actually lighter, is actually have what we call um, longer maintenance cycle. So you don't have to like do maintenance every X, but perhaps every 2X years. I'm not talking the mechanical maintenance like yeah. that. That's when you hope it's done more more than a couple of every couple of years. Um, and basically, this is uh, this is like what it brings to the game. Although it's an expensive process, it creates an aircraft that has so many advantages in terms of fuel efficiency, lighter, anti-corrosion. The moment we say metals, you worry about corrosion in composites. You don't have corrosion. So properties are enhanced. And also the overall feeling in the aircraft due to the pressure requirement as like ergonomics experience is better.
0: So could this do you think this will end up being how all the planes in the next 10 years start getting
1: created all the parts? So the way that I foresee what's going to happen next is um, two things in two parallel tracks. The first one is I would see. Um, AFP being more and more used, not only to large structural parts. Right now, what is being made is, what makes sense financially, is the huge structure of the aircraft, so the primary structure. Um, some of the other parts are, um, let's say, medium and smaller parts are still not very competitive uh, um, to make them because the process is so expensive. So that's part one. I see that there's going to be development when it comes to moving from only just making these large parts to making smaller parts that respond to things, and as well as introducing other materials in the process. So you've heard me so far several times mentions thermoset. There is another polymer that's called thermoplastic. There is a big wave right now to actually use thermoplastic as the matrix element instead of thermoset, because that would enable you to abandon the uh, need to cure, which means you won't need the autoclave. you would be performing what we call in-situ consolidation. All of that it's the first axis. The second one that I believe uh, the second one that I believe will be uh, more um, more prevalent as well is moving from aerospace industries to having uh, these methods more widespread used in automotive, maritime, and other types of industry where it makes sense. So I know with a
0: lot of new technologies, when they first
1: come out, they're new, but
0: they're expensive. And then slowly over time, people find more efficient ways to produce them. The cost goes down and it does become more widely accessible, as you're mentioning. Do you see with AFP, is that
1: already starting to happen? The price decreasing and then finding more cheaper ways to do this? Yes, I agree. So if an expert is listening to us discussing right now, he would say, hold on a second. AFP new, that's been since the 90s. That's not really new. And I beg to defer it is new because there is so much left in terms of development in the context of AFP to make it more. Um, so it does what it does in an excellent way, but there is a lot of improvements that are needed to be made on automated fiber replacement uh, from the concepts of uh, inspection to the concepts of anticipation of uh, what we call AFP defects to so many different uh, categories. So, Will the price decrease? The price is already decreasing. So because like the University of South Carolina, we're so proud of this. We have the biggest AFP machine in any university in the world. I mean, this is uh, this is something we're super proud of. And when we had the AFP machine uh, five, six years ago, you couldn't hear often that, hey, a university has an AFP machine. Actually, I don't even like I don't even know if the next statement I'm going to say is true, but I don't believe there was an AFP machine in any other university in the U.S. And nowadays you start hearing that, hey, that university is going to acquire an AFP machine and that university is going to acquire an AFP machine. So the reason for that is development has led to creating these robotic-based AFP machines that can be more accessible, when I mean more accessible, I'm saying that the price of the machine can start around $2 million. That's what I mean by more accessible. <laughs> well, um, it seems to me that... It was not a lot of options. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Disclaimer, I don't sell AFP machines. So, <laughs> Dang it, too bad. Um, if
0: you were there five years ago as one of, we'll say one of the first universities to have an AFP machine, and you were there on the front lines of it, um, you've been on the front lines of this huge new manufacturing process. For a while now, what's it like being at the front of a new emerging technology like that?
1: It's so exciting. I mean, it is um, it is um, super rewarding. Let's put it this way. Super challenging um, because your credibility can be lost very, very quickly. If you don't stay at the front of things when it comes to all matters relevant to the topic, we work very, very super closely with everyone that is involved within uh, AFP, uh, all over the, uh, the, the United States. Um, I myself, as you know, it, I also have an affiliation in the AFP uh, cell at uh, NASA Langley. So I work very, very closely. I spend every month, I go spend a week at, uh, at Langley. Um, I work very well with the team over there, just amazing people and amazing scientists. Um, we have, of course, our great relationship with Boeing. Um, in the state of South Carolina, but also we work, and I don't want to forget anyone, but we work with AFP, uh, whether people that are creating tools for AFP or software or integration or control. Actually, last year, we had a gigantic panel on automated fiber placement here uh, at the university. And it was one of the few times where we were able to assemble like seven, eight people that that represents all the aspects of automated fiber placement. I was moderating this, uh, this panel and it was just awesome.
0: Wow. Is there a pressure on you as you're staying at this front line to always stay at the front, to stay ahead of everyone else?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's an excellent question. Is there a pressure? Um, yes. Uh, is it, is it negative? I don't see it as negative. Like, um, I see it more as motivation, because you want to deliver, you want to, you know, to create your dent, and you want yours to be sustainable. So if I don't do well, you know, I'm a professor, I survive on research grants, if I don't do well, then I don't acquire the next grant, and then the grant after it. So I have to always be innovative, deliver, but more importantly... The biggest thing that we deliver is uh, trained and experienced students. So that is something that doing research alone is not fun, but doing research while educating and influencing these young minds, this is how it becomes a complete story.
0: What is the biggest question that you and your students right now are looking to answer
1: in this field? All right, I'm going to sell away my research. Let's go ahead and do it. So (laughs) I believe that... I have been working for so hard for so long on different topics relevant to AFP that they are connected, but I never took um, the initiative to actually interconnect them. And in 2016, um, we had like a group of hundred plus university professors from all over the world. Uh, we had a conference um, on product lifecycle management. And um, when I was chairing the final session, we were like, okay, what do we call the era that we are in right now? How do we decide today? What is it that governs the manufacturing industry? You know, dealing with two, three faculty is hard. Dealing with a 100 plus in the same room and coming up with a term. And we decided that we live in the era of digital transformation of product lifecycle management in the context of manufacturing industries. I believe... And this is fundamentally my next challenge is I want to marry the physical process of automated fiber placement with the concepts of digital transformation of manufacturing industries to come up with what I believe um, a smart AFP system that integrates different disconnected elements into a connected AFP. It's not easy. (laughs) It's very, very challenging. (laughs) Um, I am still in the process of formulating things. I did present them um, last week. Uh, we were at the uh, advanced uh, uh, NASA meeting for uh, for manufacturing, and I presented my vision out there, like to like a hundred plus people. And a lot of people came and said we're interested to you know understand more, see how we can collaborate. And I'm looking forward to in five years when you host me to tell you, hey, we came up with something. Indeed. Or we failed. Or, and that's okay. And for me that's okay. Because if you get if you get a teaching moment out of failure, that's also success. Because at the end of the day, we're in education. So
0: And speaking of that education, what do your students get out of? I mean, how many undergraduate and graduate students get to work in a field that's new, that where they're on the front lines of it? What's it like? What do you think they get to take away from
1: that? A lot. I mean I mean, the opportunities are just impressive. Not only for me when I say it's like rewarding, it's also for the students. Um, example, um, I think we've sent so far six or seven undergraduate students to NASA Langley oh to get integrated within the the, the uh, AFP cell over there. You know, exchanging with these scientists that are the pioneers in, in this field. So... Uh, we have students that go to other institutions um, to, for example, right now we have a student at NIR. He's working on like very extensive testing of AFP manufactured parts. We integrate students, whether undergraduate or graduate into, um, into the research. And I'm super proud to actually say that um, our AFP machine, actually right now, the person that I rely on the most to program and to operate our $5 million machine is an undergraduate student in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. So that goes along to say that that person has received the proper training, the proper safety and everything, but he's equipped, he will graduate with the capacity to program and operate. And he's not the only one. We have so many success stories every day, Uh, We hear back from students uh, about uh, how successful they are through their integration. Just this morning, I received from one of our graduate students that he made people drop their Joe uh, in industry because he was capable of designing and uh, uh, presenting a a turbine propeller in just a couple of hours. And he sent me an email saying, thank you so much for that. So, I mean, this is what we do, people. This is our product.
0: It makes me wonder why there's not a line stretching from McNair down all the way down the road, trying
1: to get in to work on it. We have, very honestly, and I hate that this happens, we refuse a lot of people Mm. just because there's only so much capacity to be able to absorb. However, um, for those hearing me, if you persist, there's always a way to. uh...
0: (laughs) Well, is there any like closing words you'd like to say?
1: Where where do you see this going? Where is this technology going to bring us in 10 years? I think it's an exciting time for uh, people working on innovation because we live in what we call um, the fourth industrial revolution, and it brings with it a lot of capacity when it comes to the integration of robotics and automation into any process, let alone something as important as automated fiber placement. So I would say the future is definitely uh, is definitely bright. But um, I have bet all my career on AFP just because I did an extensive literature review, and I, this process will go nowhere in the next fifty years. It will stay there. It will. It will still be the prominent process. And I figured out I'll retire in thirty years. So if I, if I, <laughs> so if I, if I maintain this as my focus, um, that would be a good bet. So I invite people to uh, read more about it, uh, communicate, uh, discuss, and I'll be more than happy to share more information. So you think for the next
0: 50 years, AFP is going to be what's producing the planes, the cars, and maybe much,
1: much more? It's going to be much more widespread. I totally see that it's going to see more and more a, you know, in in the 80s when they created the 3D printers, nobody would have imagined that you would have your desktop 3D printer that you can get apart. But here we are 30, 40 years Later, where anyone can produce any part with additive manufacturing, I foresee that AFP will go in that direction and that in 10 years or in 15 years, you're going to have these mini desktop AFP machine where people can create smaller parts that can be like stronger and lighter weight and so on. So there's going to be widespread of uh, usage of AFP, but also the format of it will change. So it will become different and more accessible machine. The bigger one will remain, but we will have the capacity to have desktop ones.
0: Wow. Well, I hope you're right. I hope for the next 30 years, your career stays right where it's going. I hope but, so. Uh, thanks for coming on, my friend. I, uh, thanks for making the trek across the tracks to come talk with us here in Swear Engine. Um, and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. Uh, just a reminder, follow the U of SC College of Engineering and Computing on Instagram for any future Updates about the podcast, updates about the college and cool content, um, and subscribe to Innovation on Maine on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher for our newest episodes the minute they go live. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Until next time.